1 Kings 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, and of the nations concerning which Yahweh said to the children of Israel, You shall not go among them, neither shall they come among you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon joined to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. His wives turned his heart away. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with Yahweh his God, as the heart of David his father was. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, and didn't go fully after Yahweh as David his father did. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the mountain that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. So he did for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Yahweh was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned away from Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he didn't keep that which Yahweh commanded. Therefore, Yahweh said to Solomon, Because this is done by you, and you have not kept my, my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tell the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days, for David your father's sake, but I will tear it out of your son's hand. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake which I have chosen. Yahweh raised up an adversary to Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was one of the king's offspring in Edom. For when David was in Edom, and Joab the captain of the army had gone up to bury the slain, and had struck every male in Edom, for Joab and all Israel remained there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom, Hadad fled, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, to go into Egypt, when Hadad was still a little child. They arose out of Midian, came to Paran, and took men with them out of Paran, and they came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, and appointed him food, and gave him land. Hadad found great favour in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, the sister of Taphanes the queen. The sister of Taphanes bore him Jenubath his son, whom Taphanes weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Jenubath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. When Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab the captain of the army was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, But what have you lacked with me, that behold you seek to go to your own country? He answered, Nothing, however, only let me depart. God raised up an adversary to him, Rezon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord, Hadadezer, the king of Zabar. He gathered men to himself and became captain over a troop, when David killed them of Zobar. They went to Damascus and lived there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon. In addition to the mischief of Hadad, he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. 
Jeroboam the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeredah, a servant of Solomon whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. This was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breach of his father David's city. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valour, and Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, and they put him in charge of all the labour of the house of Joseph. At that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him on the way. Now Ahijah had clad himself with a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the field. Ahijah took the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. He said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces, for Yahweh the God of Israel says, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the head of Solomon and will give ten of the tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon. They have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in my eyes and to keep my statutes and my ordinances, as David his father did. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you, even ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son, that David my servant may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself, to put my name there. I will take you, and you shall reign according to all that your soul desires, and shall be king over Israel. It shall be, if you will listen to all that I command you, and will walk in my ways, and do what is right in my eyes, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with you, and will build you a sure house, as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. I will afflict the offspring of David for this, but not forever. Therefore Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, the king of Egypt, and he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did, his wisdom, aren't they written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? The time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was forty years, and Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in his father David's city, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Well, <laughs> Solomon, always an interesting character, one of the most enigmatic men in the whole Bible. And so he decides to marry all these foreign women, which is a no-no right off. Um, the Lord said that kings should not have many wives, but the Lord specifically has said in the law not to marry women from other nations. Well, Solomon ignores it all, and he not only marries many, he marries 700 wives plus another 300 women who are his concubines. So he, he, he just splits his loyalties so many ways, He's, he ignores the Lord. Solomon, you know, you get the impression from the earlier chapters that Solomon just loved the Lord with all his heart and he obviously did love the Lord strongly because you know he offered so many sacrifices to God but here he's building temples for his wives to these other gods 
Chemosh and Molech. These, these gods, they're not gods, they're demons, but they required child sacrifice. And so he, he, he's got wives of his that are participating in child sacrifice, which is quite possibly his own children. Um, I'm almost certain it's his own children. So, and it said that one of these temples was on the hill before Jerusalem. So you've got the hill with the, one of these temples to, I think it's Chemosh, and the hill with the temple of the Lord in sight of each other. It's just, it's just unimaginable. And back, back then, a lot of people, even all the Lord's people, they weren't monotheists. And we think that the children of Israel were monotheists. But they weren't true monotheists until much later in the Old Testament. We're thinking the times of Ezra and Nehemiah. But at this point, they're what you call henotheists. It's where they, they kind of believe that there are multiple gods, but they choose to follow one. But Solomon, he doesn't just choose to follow one, he chooses to follow multiple gods. So in his mind, Solomon is saying, well, the Lord has given me all this, and I'm going to follow him, and first, he's going to be my number one God, but I've got all these wives, and I'm going to follow their gods as well, and they're going to be my lesser gods. So Solomon has rationalized it all out, but is displeasing to the Lord. And um, so we, we can't imagine, you know, thinking like this at all. It, times have changed. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God that we think much more clearly about these things. It's not that we don't get led astray by other temptations. But Solomon's heart was definitely tempted away. A little bit like a mousetrap. You know, you put out a mousetrap with, the, with, you know, in the cartoons it's always cheese. At our house we use peanut butter. Occasionally we have to catch a mouse. And peanut mice just love peanut butter and they're tempted. They smell that. They're tempted. They come close. Now mice probably don't realize it's a trap. Solomon, though, and you and I, we know that certain things are a trap, but we're still tempted. And um, anyway, Solomon is led astray, and it's one of the saddest stories in the entire Bible. So he has all these wives. Now, some people have said, oh, no one could have that many wives. Well, it's not common, that's for sure. <laughs> but historically, it's happened. So here we go. I just did some quick research the other day. King Abdullah of uh, Saudi Arabia, he had 30 wives and 35 children. Well, it's, it's nowhere near Solomon's 700. One of the other Saudi Arabian kings, Abdulaziz, had 22 wives and 115 children. Genghis Khan only had six wives, but he had 500 concubines. Now we're starting to get up to big numbers. Ismail Sharif uh, was a, like a sultan of Morocco in the 1700s. He had between two and 3,000 concubines and produced 1,042 children, a world record. <laughs> Look it up in the Guinness Book of Records. One of his concubines was an English woman, Layla Balkis. So she was apparently en route to the Bahamas, you know, the Bahamas, not Bahamas, Barbados, and uh, was kidnapped by Atlantic pirates. They took her to the slave markets in Morocco, where the king picked her up and added her to his harem. So she was, uh, you know, she was a white-skinned slave uh, in Africa. And um, this Moroccan sultan, uh, he liked her. She became one of his favorites. And so when, uh, you know, like a, a statesman from England in about 1702, I think, or something like that, came to visit Morocco, he brought a gift for the sultan, and he brought a small gift for his English concubine, Layla Balkis. 
So anyway, there's just some historical examples, and there's other examples as well of people that have had God, you know, unbelievable numbers of wives and concubines. And um, so Solomon's got a thousand, three, seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines. So for a king, uh, when you would take a woman for the night, you didn't just let her go the next day. She was now a part of your harem and available for any occasion. Although very often these women were just used one time only. But then the king was obligated to look after them for the rest of their lives. And a great deal, many of these women liked that. Like for them, it sounds so horrific to us now, but for them it was guaranteed, you were guaranteed to be looked after. And they liked it especially if they had a child, if they got pregnant and they were able to raise a prince or a princess, uh, one of the royal children. And this Layla Balkis, the English slave to that sultan, she apparently loved her position and she was also one of the privileged women in the harem. So Solomon has all of these uh, wives and concubines. And for some kings, they um, their goal is, you know, for some of these ancient kings, thank God it doesn't happen much these days, this type of thing. But for some of these ancient kings, they were just thinking, you know, sexual. So they would have the, themselves a wife or a concubine, but their, their focus was really on their country or what they were doing. But for Solomon, he actually loved these women. Like his heart was led astray by the women. And I think that's that's that was his real temptation and his real trap. Because um, he, he does the weirdest thing. In these in ancient cultures where every nation kind of had their own god, so to speak, it'd be very, very common for a king, say, to look at a stronger nation and say, you know what, I might start following that God because he's clearly a better God because he's helping that nation. Look how strong they are. So in the minds of you know ancient kings, they would, they'd be mindful of these things. Who's the strongest God? I want to follow that one. Solomon follows them all. And a lot of them are weak, weak, piddling little gods. They're, they're demons, but they're masquerading as gods. And Solomon follows them all. He's, he's got the strongest nation in the world at the time. He's got a trade alliance with the Sidonians, that's King Hiram. He's in alliance with Pharaoh of Egypt, and they're in controlling the trade of the entire world, and the wealth is rolling in. It wouldn't make sense in the way they thought back then to start worshipping weak gods. But why does he do it? He does it because he loves all these women, and they want him to do it. So he's doing it for them. If it wasn't for them, he would have just followed Yahweh. And I think the biggest temptation of all, I haven't read this anywhere, but it just seems logical as you think about it, is that he wanted to marry Pharaoh's daughter and be like the Pharaohs. Because if you think about it, he has these grand building projects with hundreds of thousands of slaves, and it's just like Pharaoh building the pyramids and all of that. He wants to make himself be grand. And so he has Pharaoh's daughter in, and you know, he builds her a house and he builds her a temple and he starts worshiping her God. And so it's all just downhill. Now I wanted to say that wealth, having an abundance of wealth is an X-ray to the heart. You know how you go to the hospital and you get an X-ray and you see what your bones are like and you can see what's really going on. Like when I broke my leg, uh, we did an X-ray to see what was going on and yep, things weren't lined up. <laughs> Well, if you give someone a bucket load of money, it's like an x-ray of what the heart loves because suddenly out comes what's been in there all along. And so um, the Lord said, 
you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Well, when you give someone treasure, you soon find out where the heart is. And um, so with Solomon, he gets all this money and we soon find out when he has got no limits, we soon find out where the heart is. And his heart was in all these women. But if you take an average human being and you give them a bucket load of money, and we see this happens in the news with people who win the lottery, they do the craziest things. And um, a good question to ask yourself is, if I was given a billion dollars right now, how would you spend that money? A lot of Christians say, oh, I'd tithe it, of course. And then they proceed to treat the other 90%, spending it however they want to spend it. And it shows the things that they value in their heart. So wealth is an x-ray to the heart. And so this is what we found with Solomon, is once he had unlimited resources, we got to see what the heart was truly like. But David, he had a heart after God. And even when he had huge amounts of resources, he was doing things for the Lord. So you can see what a big, big difference there is there. So Solomon's heart turns away from God, but the nation doesn't turn away from God yet. And um, some of these changes are slow. You know, the cultural change is slow. But cultural change happens. And when a king turns his heart away from God, there's a process where it starts to affect all the people. And in, we've seen this cultural change in, um, in Western society with universities that have been, for the last 100 years, have been teaching people humanism and teaching them that there's no God. And, you know, 100 years ago, churches were strong. But there's a slow effect. Now, thank God, overall, Christianity is, is so strong. It's growing like you can't believe all around the world. But the West has got to throw off some of these, these humanistic and, and postmodern ways of thinking. Well, that's a result of a slow process that's been going on. And here in Israel, a process has begun. The king has turned away from God, and we're going to see in the time of the next king and then the time of the king after him, they're going to turn right away from God and 10 out of the 12 tribes are just going to go completely off track. And the other tribe and a half or two, you know, the tribe of Judah is kind of going to go in and out the whole entire time between following God and not following God. And eventually, they're going to be punished and sent away as well. You imagine a huge ocean liner and you, um, you suddenly turn off the engine. It's going to keep going for quite a while. Or you imagine a church that's been so prayerful and they suddenly stop praying. Things are going to keep on happening. Good things are going to keep on happening for quite some time, but they will eventually stop. And the same here is what has begun to happen. Solomon has turned his heart away from God, and it's just a matter of time before the nation of Israel turns away too. So um, Solomon was king for 40 years. The number 40 is a symbol of testing, and seems like they failed the test. Heavenly Father, we look at Solomon and we admire him for many reasons, but here in this chapter we see that it was mixed, Lord, that he, he was so blessed and yet his heart was so far from you by the end. And I ask, Lord, that you'd protect us. Lord, don't deny us the blessings of the Lord, but I ask that along with your blessings that we'd have the grace that was on David to be men and women after God's heart, to be people that can serve you with our wealth and serve you with our blessings and maintain a focus for Christ in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.